host Don Taylor, and today we're going to talk to the amazing Dallas Weave. So today we're going to be talking about the unconscious rules for life. You know, you know, those ones we got from our childhoods that we don't even think about or even realize are there. And that when we finally uncover them, realize how much harm they can actually be causing, how much damage they've caused in relationships in our lives and all of the rest. But before we get started, I want to tell you a little bit about our guests so you can be as excited as I am. Dallas is a dad. He's a husband of a million years. Yes, actually a million years. Okay, maybe 24. He owns an amazing automotive repair business that keeps him way too busy. He's all about fast cars, horsepower, and his passionate love for God. He's an incredible Christian man who's very dedicated to his church. And he has this amazing, unique combination of a sensitive soul, but also a desire to run right into the scary and him and I have spent a we've spent a bit of time talking about running into the scary in the past so Dallas let's run into a little bit of that scary right now welcome to the show thank you so much Don it's it's good to talk to you and and yeah this is for me it's kind of like running straight at something I'm scared of so (laughs) let's do this let's have this chat (laughs) so Dallas applied to be on my podcast coming from, and yes, he's given me permission to talk about this, a situation in his life where his dad passed away a few years ago. And when it happened, it jarred something in him. It jarred something major in him that I don't think anyone saw coming, himself included. And when he reached out to me to chat one day, was at a pretty low point. Dallas, you want to talk a little bit about that? What brought you to even finding out that you had some unconscious rules? Well, the thing about unconscious rules is you don't know you have them. <laughs> so, right? <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't look like you have unconscious rules. It looks like the world doesn't make sense. It, it looks like, why can't I do the things I normally do and have this all work out? So for me, the crisis in my life was was watching my dad die, but watching him die in a way that I I thought... I thought somehow, because it was, it was a, you know, an illness that took him out over eight months or so, but I thought somehow it would go different. Yeah. I thought there would be that, you know, people get this idea that if someone dies quickly, they didn't get to say goodbye properly. Mm-hmm. So if you have time, you would get to like share those things that need to be shared and, and have that connection that you would hope you'd have with someone who you won't get to see anymore. Yeah. And just just the way it went down for him, I we didn't get that chance to connect. It, it was, you know, how to beat the cancer, how to do this, how to do that, and so the ability to get to know who he was better at the end was exchanged for getting to know someone who was just scared and dying, and I couldn't connect with him. So that. That made me think about how much I was like him in my wiring and my thinking mm-hmm. and and how much of that wiring and thinking and, you know, hard rules for life, how much of that in me could still change. So you're looking, I'm looking at my life through this, what I'm doing is not working lens, but why can't I see it? Why can't I see a way out of this? And I'm just used to thinking about things. So I just like, Use what I know, what I understand, dig in hard, and used to work my way through problems. But 
what I've run into, and this is what we talked about when we started working together, is and you kind of pointed at at these things where I couldn't just buckle down, pull myself up on my bootstraps and lean harder into something and fix it because the method that I was applying my system was flawed and I couldn't see it because I had rules. I had this basic structure of, mm-hmm. of how I attack problems, these rules that made it impossible for just working harder to solve it, just being more stubborn, more gris- grisly <laughs> or whatever. Just you know. Right. And somehow, mm-hmm. so it's little stuff. I mean, I'm going to say something stupid, but maybe it'll help drive it home. When you're a fussy Mennonite. Okay. So let's pause for a second and describe that to people. Cause like you and I, you and I come from a Mennonite background and I often get asked like, what is that a how to write? And it's like, no, not really. It, can you explain to the listeners what, what was your childhood like in that way? Like, like when you explain Mennonite to someone, what does that mean to you? Like, how did that create your identity? Cause that's very different. Like, so my dad grew up until his teen years as like a practicing Mennonite, which is mostly just really, really very religious, but there was a whole bunch of really structural things about what's important and what's not important. And, and so when I say fussy Mennonite, I kind of just mean we grew up where you keep very good care of your stuff. Oh, yeah. Very, very hard working. <laughs> and, but so you, you don't waste anything. You're very careful with your money. Very frugal. Mm-hmm. Frugal is a nice word for it. Cheap is the other word cheap, for cheap, it. Cheap, <laughs> cheap, cheap the less, less happy word for it. But you stretch every yeah. dollar. So it doesn't even mean you're broke. Most, most Mennonites are hardworking people and they have a reasonable income. 100%. They often have good income. Yeah. But everything has to go as far as possible. And so good planners, good long-term thinkers, but lots of times everything gets sacrificed to the long-term plan. So I wouldn't, because we weren't, like I never grew up as a practicing Mennonite in some colony somewhere. No. Like that, but that's the old school roots of where it came from. But there's these leftovers. So those things I talked about, that's kind of the leftovers. I remember getting to my grandpa's car and there's very distinct directions about where you put your feet and where you, where you knock the, sh- the dirt off your feet. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're driving, the feet didn't leave the floor mat. And like there's, and there's good care for stuff, but then there's you know, the Mennonite method is usually just a little bit more. And this isn't just Mennonite. This is like <laughs> my, my family as well. Right. So I'm laughing because I often say like, like take those rules. And this, this totally ties into this like invisible rules we have in ourselves because like as I work with clients that have like Eastern European culture or you like Ukrainian or Iranian or like from Iran or like it doesn't matter where, like every culture has its own almost set of standards and guidelines that they run by and Mennonites have their own. And it's like as a woman, like you're at the expectations put on you is like incredibly high, mm-hmm. but strange. Like they aren't modern. 
No, it's it's not modern rules. But think of what Dallas just said based on the car, like just like the 20 rules of driving grandpa's car. They yeah. use that in everything from like how you set the table to how you eat to how you yeah. run your business. Like actions equal worth is like a big belief. Right. It's there's some really interesting rules. Yeah. And so Mennonite men, like in my family, especially, but I can see it up the family tree. What you what you do for a living, the way you work is really important, right? Oh, big time. That's a leftover in lots of people's history. Like that's that's true there. Yeah. But so if you were a hardworking, respectable Mennonite man and you go to work and you you take a lot of pride in it, you put up with a lot of pain, you may have one or two heart attacks at work, but as long as one arm still works. You should still go to work. You just know, put a bandaid on it. <laughs> put a bandaid on. Just put a bandaid on it. It's not unique to the Mennonite culture like that thinking, but that was very, very strong there. So, for example, when I was watching my dad when he was sick, he looked out the window and was wanting to drive the truck that was delivering the goods because he was a truck driver, and and for him, he really missed being able to work. That was that was just. He knew that world. It had an expected response for his input. It was predictable and it felt right for him. So for him to look out the window and see just a delivery truck and he drove big rigs and all this stuff, but he wanted that. He wanted to go back to that again. And so it was a little weird to be sitting there with him, wanting to have a heart to heart conversation, but not being able to really get that out. Yeah. And yet he was in his pain and in his his own morning, looking at the end of his life, he wasn't able to have the heart-to-heart conversation, but he wanted to drive that truck, right? And so that was hard. That was a bit of a weird thing for me. It's like there was so much there was so much good about him. He was, he was the, the kindest man you'd met. One of my friends said, "Your dad was amazing." You could feel his kindness coming in the door with him. Yeah. You know, so he was he was a very kind man. But I think some, in some ways. These unconscious rules that I'm talking about, they were he, he was working with them, but he didn't know he was. So yeah. he was he was stuck with the truck was too dirty. It had to be washed, even if it was minus two outside. Like yeah. in some ways, he was a bit of a slave to some of those rules without understanding that they were pushing him around. And I saw that in me. So that was mm-hmm. that was kind of the epiphany of of I mean, the grief of watching your dad die. It's the first real close person to me that died. It rips you open a bit raw. You start analyzing things. You start checking in your life what matters. I mean, that's pretty typical. And But for me, the, the things that I saw in him that didn't work out as well as I'd hoped were in me. I, I seen those rules in me. I seen the, yeah. the inability to leave a problem half solved and have any peace, right? You have to go get to finish it. You have to win. You can't let go. You have to. And and the ability to <laughs> go to a family function and not got, get caught up in problem solving something. Like and, and you know, and in a way we enjoyed it because there was three boys and at almost every family function, my wife didn't enjoy it that much when we did this. <laughs> but <laughs> but you know, we get suckered into whether it was solving some app problem on a phone or fixing a hot water tank. There was always like you couldn't just sit around and we, even we went camping together, beautiful times camping together. But oh, he, rest is for the wicked. 
Yeah. So, but even the, <laughs> there's a line from my childhood, <laughs> but, but it also was just kind of like therapy. If you kept moving and you kept working, it just felt right. You know? So I had to start looking at my ability to leave something dirty, to leave something unfinished to, and obviously not everybody needs to be encouraged in this direction. Like it depends on what your rules are inside. Some people are very messy, but my thing was, is I kind of felt wrong. I didn't feel right to leave certain things or to not finish something or to, I couldn't let go. So I'm a, as a, as a mechanic, you know, I tend to sway toward the technical side. So I'm problem solving computer related diagnostic issues with cars, but I couldn't let go. Like, so I'd be digging and digging and, you know, I'm going to have to solve this. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. And what my, what the problem needed and what my brain needed was to let go for a bit, back off, go get some different perspectives, talk to some different people. Don't be so egotistical about it that I have to solve it all. Let it rest. Sometimes an idea comes back at you or something can be let go a little bit. Right. So yeah. in that, in that way, I was making like things that were stressful and hard worse. And I wouldn't feel right inside. So if I couldn't win, I'd come home up, kind of upset. And and it's just a car problem. Like it didn't need to own my soul. But it was my rules around finishing strong and solving everything. And even tying in my ego into my work. Like that is kind of what men do in general. But depending how you're wired, you do it more, more or less. So for me, it's like if I couldn't fix this, if I couldn't win this, if I couldn't prove to myself that I'm smarter than this problem or whatever, it would kind of take a piece out of me. And that's kind of a fragile piece to be, you know? So totally. So you've brought up a few times feelings, <laughs> emotions, like how it made you feel things. If you could see Dallas is grinning right now as he's laughing about me saying this, <laughs> ah, <yes>. <laughs> <laughs> it would make you laugh. But that was, a piece of it. So yeah. as Dallas said earlier, he reached out to me as a client. We also had known each other most of our lives. Our dads actually worked together. We had yeah. some common people in our inner circles. I graduated with one of his brothers. So we kind of like, kind of knew each other, but not super, not super well. Like, I don't know if we'd ever even sat and had a conversation prior to our very first Facebook messaging. That's right. So it was just more like, hey, I know who you are. You know who I am. Totally. And so he had reached out to me and you were at a dark place. And I know that one of the first, one of the things that as we, how do I word this? As we dug into (laughs) your rules, (laughs) I wanted to say, as we fought through your rules to convince, right? Because we did that too. It convinced me that I even had any to start with. Yes, that was entertaining, was getting to the point of convincing you that there could have been a rule there in the first place. But one of the big things that came out of it for you was even understanding what feelings and emotions are. Yeah, well, you said I was in a dark place. And I would say, more specifically, I was in a gray place. So feelings and emotions in general were just one of those things that's untrustworthy. They're kind of disregarded in my head is, well, inconvenient and they could lie so ding 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 there's a rule (laughs) right so for anyone so for anyone (laughs) listening i'm gonna ding 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 every time a rule comes up 
maybe yeah. not but anyway maybe not. But, <laughs> but just think about that right like when we're talking about these unconscious rules and these these ones that show up in our lives right just to give you like a super tangible rule that dallas had yeah right was like feelings and emotions are a waste of time pretty much like <laughs> there's just no need for them yeah. right there's no Stick need those for somewhere them. get them out of the way put those somewhere wherever you can stop them and you know give her like oh. push your shoulder into something that works and so you know the time you get into your mid-40s and that's your method things are pretty great like you don't feel up and you don't feel down no you're kind of flat it's kind of flat until life kicks you hard enough and you feel down and you're like well i can't I can't stay here. What is so, this feeling? <laughs> yeah. So then, yeah. So then I, I wanted to call them to talk to you, and and you started pointing at all these things that are basically, well, feelings and emotions. I'm like, well, I, I don't believe in those so much. <laughs> I think you actually use those words. I don't believe in those. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, you kind of don't have a choice. We need yeah. to we need to find these for you. Yeah. So. So that rule was written way deep inside. I mean, probably from, you know, as a kid, having to, having to deal with emotions and feelings that weren't convenient. And so you, yeah. you build a method to deal with it. It's not necessarily wrong. It's just survival. You're just doing the best you can as a, as a little person. It's a beautiful protection mechanism. Yeah. yeah. But that rule gets written in, in the base program. Like that gets written into the early part. So it isn't even something you question. Like it's just, it's unconscious. It's, mm-hmm. it's underneath it. So when you're responding to life and living life and not even knowing the rules you're operating by, then you can't fix anything because you keep adjusting all the variables that are on the outside of those rules. You keep adjusting the things that are like outcomes, not the input devices. So for me, tripping over these rules as we we're going through stuff, it was really hard on my soul because you're messing with my base program. Like you're. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know? And so you. Hard on you'd your point, soul is probably an understatement some days. <laughs> well, and, and you'd point something out and, and you'd yeah. do your best to rile me up. I mean, let me know. And then, and so I would, you'd have to kind of leave it with me and let me chew on it for a while. And, yeah. and then I'd, you know, come back again next week. And I'm like, yeah. You're right, and I don't like it. And then, <laughs> but <laughs> but that's kind of what what the thing of change is, especially as you get older. Is like to let go of these rules is scary because you're you're letting go of things that you, even though they're broken, they're all you know. Like they're what you what you drive by. They're your normal. Yeah, they're they're what I call my method that was broken. But and so that's just a you know one of those simple rules that was right under the bottom of it, right? And it's, it was actually probably one of the baseline rules that had to get adjusted. So talking about these unconscious rules, right? And how all of a sudden you're like realizing you have these and the the shift that needs to happen with them. There There isn't a person listening that isn't like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe I have a weird rule or two. Yeah. yeah. Right? We, we all have them is the thing. Yeah. That's actually just reality. So I'd love to dive into each rule that we talk about and go, okay, so this rule... How did the, how did it affect your life in a negative, and how did overcoming it and bringing emotions in shift relationships in your life, your business, your world for a positive? So how did it affect you in the negative? Well, the negative side of well, that kind of disregard for emotions in general is 
not only do you not know how you feel, I didn't know how I felt because I turned them off as best as I could. I struggled to know how anybody else felt. And so yeah. emotions that seemed, well, inconvenient to other people, it was like, well, why are you acting like that? Like, and so that isn't a baseline for a healthy relationship. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> no, it turns out. For real? <laughs> yeah. So when it had to start with me being able to deal with my emotions and yeah. people say, well, deal with your emotions. It's like, well, let yourself have them. And like, well, what about all the pain in my life? Like, I can't let that all out. It's like, well, it'll, it'll creep out in little stuff here and there, but let yourself have some. It's not like, well, one of the things that triggered me is music. Mm -hmm. Certain music can bypass my defenses. So my emotional defenses were up and good, but I could have a bad day and not really put a finger on how I was feeling, but go get in myself into a, you know, a bit of a private space and, and play some, some music. It would come up to the surface, how I felt. Yeah. And, and sometimes, just processing the emotions, having them be present and going, yeah, I guess my face is leaking now. I'm crying. And I, and I'm not really proud of that as far as my man genes go, but my soul feels better by actually letting out this feeling that's inside of me. And I'm not suggesting that I'm going to let my emotions run my life. I still have a lot of decisions to make that have to be weighed out with reality. Yeah. But, but when trying to, have a relationship with, well, myself, and then the next step with people. If you deny emotions exist, because they are inconvenient sometimes, there's a very, very low ceiling on relationship potential. It's very hard to get to know how you feel, and therefore it's very hard to have any clue on why people around you respond this way or that way. Because emotions are kind of like, they aren't always telling the truth, but they're always always telling you something. Like they have right. a reason for being there, right? And so sometimes your emotions are just completely overwound up about something, and it's not really that one thing. It was yeah. that broke the that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. It was thirty five things that you've been ignoring for a long time, just stuffing it in there, and all of a sudden something triggers it, and you're like, "This is completely overblown for this situation. Why do I feel this strongly about this?" and and so sometimes there's strong feels around something. And that was to me, it went from using, from running from emotions to using emotions as a, a detector of things inside of me that had been buried and needed to be dealt, like talked to, need to see what yeah. that's about. And so there was, there was parts of me that were, I, I didn't like, I didn't like how that part of me worked. I didn't like how that made me feel. So if you just turn your emotions off, the feedback mechanism is broken. You don't even know where to look. Okay, so, right there. When you turn your emotions off, your feedback mechanism is broken. Yeah. That statement right there is so freaking true. Yeah. Right? If we can just shut this off, if we can just shut it off, shut it off, shut it off, shut it off, shut it off. Right? Yeah. But it's in those emotions that we're like, hey, wait, something's going on here. Something yeah. is going on here. There's something wrong. And it's whether it's with us or it's with somebody else, right? When you're in tune with those emotions, when you can finally face them, all of a sudden it can shift. Like 
I know it, like for you, it's shifted your relationship with your employees at work, your like your family, your friends, like yeah. the deeper conversations you've had, the your wife, your daughter, like well, and your puppy and, dog. <laughs> yeah, I've I've become a bit of a softie as of late. And, <laughs> Still strong and manly, though. Come on, Dallas. Yeah, yeah, you got to put yeah. that out there. <laughs> well, the thing of it is, I enjoy it. Like I'm enjoying the things in life that I used to find unnecessary, yeah. and they are the it's the spice of life. So, you know, I I enjoy talking to my my daughter, and you know, she's getting married in a few a few months, and I and that's a, that. that's a crazy process to be a part of, and yeah. And so the the funny thing is about emotions and, and other people is often they, they want to talk about it too. Yeah. And for me to sit there with my logical brain and say, okay, explain to me exactly your problem and why do you feel that way? <laughs> that <laughs> just is op- so useful. Come on. It's not, a, it's not a good opening line for your teenage daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to leave room to let the emotions fall out yeah. in the conversation and not try to logically stuff it into me getting an answer quickly. Yeah. Right. Cause that's the, that's my mind. That's common in males, but I'm a, a hyper <laughs> example of that where I'm like a hundred percent problem solver human being. So just give me the data, just the facts, ma'am. Like that line there, you know, so just <laughs> it's give just me the, the data. Facts, ma'am. That's amazing. <laughs> Oh, I could like back. I could like hear my German grandpa in that line right there. Yeah. Oh my and gosh. So, so if you want to hear what someone's got to say, you can't act, ask them to distill it down to facts only because their heart's hurting. Yeah. You know, so to have a relationship with somebody, it takes listening through the tears and yeah. the giggles and, and all the all the stuff. So when you when you start hearing people from their heart. There's connections made at levels that will never be made by Mr. Logic Man in his problem-solving suitcase, right? So That should be like your Halloween <laughs> costume next year. <laughs> Mr. Logic Man in your problem-solving suitcase. <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah. Just visualize it. Yeah, that, was... that I'll, I'll bring my small white puppy with me. And yes. it'll be a great paradox to look at. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what was the other rule you were going to talk about? Another rule that had come up for you. Oh, yeah. So this is a more, a more way less emotional thing. But so what had happened is because I got into business in my early 30s, I had, well, I was motivated. I was a motivated business worker, right? So I got into business without training, right? As an automotive technician, fancy word for mechanic, you're, you're fixing cars and doing stuff, right? You're just fixing cars. And, and I was, I enjoyed making hot rods and things. Yep. And then this opportunity comes to buy a business and, you know, it's just a little two bay setup, but you're, you're buying the, the property and the building. And so I had in the Mennonite fashion had been pretty, fairly frugal to this point and I've built up enough equity to pull it off, but totally bet the farm on it. Like, you're betting your house, you're betting everything against it, you're going all in. And when you start that, you're pretty sure that you could fail, but you're going to like kill yourself so you don't fail. And for me, failure was associated with 
loss, unacceptable loss. And that's a pretty harsh thing because there's so much more. Like failure is like reframed in my head to a crazy degree at this point. But <laughs> but in the in the yeah. process of just working hard and being fairly intelligent about handling my customers and the money and my employees, yeah. I had to put myself through business school basically in the school of hard knocks because totally. I had no no training in dealing with that just careful learning on the spot but I found that I had taken and you know made a pretty successful business mm-hmm. in a short time with hard work and some some really really good employees and hiring the right people at the right time and mm-hmm. you know my my brother helped me build a, a new building and you know just all the all the combinations worked together but I had completely built up who I was as a successful business person as yeah. who I was. So the rule about if this business fails, I fail was Ooh. killing my business. Right. Hey, let's just, let's just talk about that for a second. Yeah. <laughs> if my business fails, I fail, which yeah. then flows into what I am a failure. Yeah. That's the next, next step of the flow chart. And how often does that happen in everything? But like as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as especially there's such this, like there's such a huge belief that like we are our businesses. And if we fail or they, if the business fails, if we just, if something doesn't go according to plan, then like we're this horrible human instead of being like, no, 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 no. There's a hundred different metrics that went into that. Yeah. But that deep-seated belief, good luck to anyone listening telling me you don't believe that one, because that's a common one. (laughs) Right? It's a common one, and what happened is it it made me more and more risk-averse, right? Yeah. So as you you go along and you get some more employees and you deal with, you know, the overheads climbing, the overheads climbing, and you're trying to find the profit margin that you thought you had built into this, and you can only be so risk averse as an entrepreneur and get anywhere. So yeah. you take even me going into business was more risky than a lot of people that in my life would say was a good idea. Yeah. Right. It's like, what are you going to gain out of that? You're just buying yourself a job. You could go work, keep working. Mm-hmm. But so I had proved to myself that I could make a business go, but I had grown so fast that the overhead had gotten pretty serious and yeah. it only worked if I had the right people around yeah but I was becoming a massive stress ball that was hard to be around yeah and so the combination of that plus this fear inside of me of failure that I could see I could see the numbers changing directions I could see the business wasn't as healthy as it once was and it was still working I just saw the curve you know, I saw yeah. the directory change and I'm like, and my response to it was making it worse. I was, I was getting, I was getting cheaper. I was more upset when people made mistakes. I was just pointing at all the errors of everybody around me. Like that was the reason why we were slowly losing ground. And so it did two things. It was unhealthy for the business, but it was, it was breaking me because I started to see the business as a problem. The business was my enemy. It was, it was the thing to run from. It's like, 
I got to get away from this. I'm too stressed out. I'm getting too many migraines. It's, I can't maintain this anymore. Mm. And that was a real crisis for me because up till that point in my life, I kind of made a, well, a weird half adrenaline field method of solving problems. And that was mm-hmm. stare at it and run at it. And in the process, you'll learn. Like if something terrified me, I just go at it. And so yeah. <laughs> that probably didn't help my mom sleep much. But <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> so fun to be married to and so fun to raise <laughs> as a child. <laughs> and, you know, I was, I, was a, I was pretty soft soul still, so I wasn't out to terrify the people who loved no. me. But but adrenaline was my drug, and and that was my, one of my ways of getting getting a good feeling was to run at something, have it scare the crap out of me, and then yeah. beat it. Like that was kind of my drug. Well, and you so, not just and this was in your thing you sent, like we talked about earlier, is like adrenaline was your drug of choice. Yeah, and it was like skidoo's and race cars and yeah. like all yeah. the toys. Well, the, mountain the mountain, sides. the mount, the mountain snowmobiling was was really important to me because there's something about the beauty of the mountains, the freedom of the mountains, yeah. and then this huge, huge like risk factor yeah. combined with horsepower. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so that that's that was that's my thing actually. I and I sold my sled a couple of years ago, and people were like, "Why?" And I'm like, "I don't, I don't need it anymore." Yeah. And, and not that it's wrong. It's just that the the drug that I needed out of it. Yeah. It isn't required anymore. So that type of thinking was really tying me up. Like if you're an athlete, you say it made me tight. Like it, yeah. it made me so I couldn't play the game anymore. Yeah. So going to work, quite sure that work was the source of all the anxiety in my life. Thinking somehow that I was still in charge of it, I should be able to fix this. But the harder I tried, the more I buckled down, the more I tried to plug the holes in the dam yeah. by being upset about everybody's mistake, the worse it got. And so one day, well, <laughs> my trick was I, I gave it, I gave the thing to God. I said, God, okay, you can own the business. I'm just going to show <laughs> up and work for you. Right. I remember and, that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that began a change in my mental process. And it, it took a while to let go, even figure out what I'm saying to you right now that I yeah. knew that, but being able to look at that and go, you know, I can do other things. I'm capable of all kinds of stuff. This can fail or die or can grow or whatever. It isn't who I am. Okay. I, Pause there again. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, this can grow or die. It can fail. It doesn't matter. This is not who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not our identity. And for people listening, they're like, meh, God, whatever. Take the word God out of it and put universe. Take the word universe out of it and put whatever you want. It doesn't matter. It's it's releasing that control of it. Well, yeah, if you've got to be in control of everything, right? then you kind of made yourself into a God. So Haven't that, you? That's, got some, that's got some downsides to it. Totally. But it locked me up. So that yeah. kind of thinking froze me up. So. Yeah. Starting to free in that, starting to be able to handle some risk, starting to be able to try different things at work. Because as a business grows, the same method that got you started won't keep you going. No. And so 
you got to fire some ideas through the cannon and see what works. And if you're totally afraid of the ship going down every time you try something new, it it doesn't work. No, so, not at all. Yeah. And for me, one of the recent things that I did was when profits were flat, I introduced profit sharing and and to try to to show how healthy the business could be yeah. and and to, sh- to get people to come on and say, you know, there's a lot of money to, for you to make if you want to work with me. Yeah. But to give away the profits that you were hoping to use to pay off some debt to yeah. give it away to your to your staff without knowing whether it's going to work it's like well this could this could be given the way the <laughs> the last bit of nest egg was trying to put away for this debt or that debt yeah but but as it turns out people like to be included in the business they like to be included in the bottom line so getting really honest about that with people and saying and like posting monthly profit statements of your business to your whole staff mm-hmm. and watching it go up as they're watching it go up. Uh, it's just, it's just been a few months, but it's, it's challenging okay. and it's, yeah. And it's really fun to watch other people start to see, Hey, what I do actually matters here. Whether I come to work and give it, give it a bit or, or not, it yeah. matters. It changes, it changes how things go for me too. And so it's, for people to say you're doing what I'm like, I'm giving away 50% of the company profits to my employees. You're crazy. I'm like, well, if you make enough and they make enough, then everything works. Yeah. And in this, in this market, retaining skilled staff is, is where it's at. Yeah. Like if you can retain skilled staff, you're winning. And so my goal isn't to retire in a given time. My goal is to enjoy working. So I'm so proud of you. Like, so proud of you. (laughs) Seriously. No, but even for anyone listening, like the journey of my business is my identity and it's my everything. And if it fails, I fail and all of that stuff. Yeah. Do get yourself to the point where you're like, no, 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 it's okay. This isn't my identity. My identity is enjoying life and in helping these people and supporting them and helping everybody succeed. Yeah, I'm getting... Yeah, that's I'm getting incredible. more positive. I'm getting more positive feedback out of training people, out of educating people, out of taking young, young under we go young people who want to do something and teaching them something and teaching mm-hmm. them how to. This overall corporations are really good at teaching people how to do one job, but they never get to see the larger picture. And so whenever mm-hmm. I get a young a young worker starting off, if they have the mind for it, I want to I want to train them how to how to run a business. Hey, I work. Do 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 be a mechanic. That's a very good job, and that's a very technical. It, you got to be smart to do that these days. Cars yeah. these days are pretty brutal. Um, yes, it's not the old. <laughs> no. It's not the old vehicles that we worked on in high school. No. But but the way this trade works, if you're good at it, you you leverage up into running your own business. Yeah. Like that's that's the way to get to take your knowledge that you gain in the first twenty years, and Get it into your into your head and find a yeah. way to use that. And so I'll I'll train new staff if they want to know. I'll yeah. train them as into what what I have going on. And and I've had people get trained and leave. And it used to be a big thing. I used to be really sad when people left. Yeah. You know, because it's just you know it's so hard to replace people. 
and I, I don't want people to leave, but to have somebody come in pretty rough around the edges and not really, you know, not really anchored in any value that they could offer to anything and to leave knowing they went to a really good job. They're growing as a human. They're, they're way better off. I like that. That's, that's a positive feedback loop for me. So that's way different than just trying to get someone to stay in the business long enough to see if you can fill the role and take care of your responsibilities and make some money. And then, so yeah. Okay. So let's, let's tie that back to the very beginning of this conversation Mm. where we talked about your dad laying in that hospital bed and staring outside and just wanting to drive the delivery truck. Yeah. And your fear, your giant fear of becoming your dad. (laughs) Yeah. In in many ways, becoming my dad is in his, is an honor, but that part, that part of him, I didn't want to have that. I didn't want to see doing work as my therapy. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't want to see that as my way to get through life. So because something else my dad was pretty good at, this is just a balance to this is he, he loved the people around him, but, but he often struggled with people that wouldn't value the same things he valued. Yeah. So things being clean and tidy, taking good care of stuff. But, uh, but he was a hard worker unselfishly toward others. So this last Sunday we had a baptism in our, in our church and he was the guy who would prepare everything, clean up, fill up the baptismal tank, make sure it was a comfortable temperature. He'd have Mm -hmm. the mop bucket ready and keep the floor from being a nasty slip zone. And he just took care of everything. And his picture and some other people's is, is in our janitor room, stuck on the wall as kind of the hardworking heroes that people didn't get to see that much, but we know were there. So I found myself this Sunday driving a mop bucket out of that janitor room. And, (laughs) and, (laughs) and to me, it was kind of a full circle moment for, for me to be doing the job that he would normally have done. And then realized how good he was at serving people without asking for credit. Like he was just good at being a great servant. And so in one in one side of his work-driven mode, he had tied his identity to that. He had tied his being to being able to keep busy and wasn't sure who he was when he wasn't working hard, yeah. I, I could say. But the other side of it was he was able to, to work and bless people without having to be seen, without having to get the big deal. And so I... I look at this, this rule that I, that I saw in him where, you know, work was made so important to his psyche that when you take it away, it really bothered him. Mm. And I'm like, I don't want to be that grounded in work. I don't want to have work as my only method to keep my, myself feeling good. But on the other side of it, I've started to find the ability to do work to bless people mm-hmm. and, and seeing them. A, a payback in that where you're working for something bigger than yourself and all of a sudden the work becomes pleasant it's it's worth doing and, and so the rule of work is is that you can work way harder than you think you can if you have the right motives yeah. it's amazing what you can accomplish and, and oh help my gosh. it's so crazy. much 
yeah. so much. <laughs> but if but if you view work as with an unhealthy view, it could be the enemy. It could be the thing you're trying to run from, like you're everybody's yeah. working to retire, or or it can be an unhealthy crutch to be your uh, keep your brain happy. But yeah. but your rules around it, it isn't work's fault. It's how you look at it, right? Well, and I think with that, there's. I was talking to someone today about how we're so quick to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. So we have these people in our lives, you know, like your dad, my mom, when they passed away. And I know we've had just even friend conversations about this, about how there's parts of our parents that we loved so much and they were so outstanding. And there's parts that we hated or that were really toxic or really not good. And that's okay. Like it, it's okay in our perspective to see the person in that light and to know that maybe some of their actions or some of their behaviors did cause damage to us or did shift things in us or did change things about us to in directions we didn't love or like or even appreciate, you know, as we got older. Yeah. yeah. But we also don't have to throw out the person with it. Right? Like yeah. we don't have to throw <clears throat> the person with it. And I know like one of my moms was like it's always about give, 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 give. Like also super generous, right? Like, right, right. like I'm sure her and your dad would have been very good friends had they yeah. ever spent time together because <laughs> they were both that way. Yeah. But my mom also didn't have healthy boundaries on it often. True, yeah. Of knowing when she needed to actually stop, when it wasn't an appropriate moment to give, when it wasn't healthy for her kids or her family, when she needed to actually have a healthy boundary in place so that she wasn't, giving so much of herself that she was being destroyed by it. Yeah. And so I know that's been hard, like even on us as kids, as growing up, and I know it's conversations that I've had to even have with my husband is like, I have to make sure I have healthy boundaries on that because I very quickly will turn into my mom in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And instead being like, no, 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 it's still absolutely beautiful to give, 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 give. And I can more than most people of my time, my energy, my resources, whatever, but I can also have a healthy boundary on it. So it doesn't become an identity for me. That's right. Yeah. And that's where so many of these rules that we take on become an identity. The rules of who we have to be as a mom, who we have to be as a dad, who we have to be as a boss, what our beliefs are on something, what we're willing to budge on or not budge on, how things go down. The amount of times in our house, even we say like, oh, we're going to be in trouble. We're breaking a rule here. (laughs) Right. And I mean, we're breaking a rule by doing something like not making turkey on Christmas dinner. Yeah. Yeah. One of those kind of rules. Like those silly rules, but it's still a rule. It's still these weird unconscious rules that we have about like, if I don't this, then I'm not that. Yeah. And it's, you have to be open to the discovery of these rules if you actually want to change yeah because for me becoming aware of the rule took a hard thing to to be able to look something look my life in the face and say the way i want it to go the way i think it should go Mm -hmm. isn't happening and am i willing to go through the painful process of like upsetting everything right now of yeah of letting go of the way I want, I think things should be. And so to ask questions about stuff to say, well, why do I do that? And why? Yeah. So it's, it becomes less of a fear of breaking everything and more of a curiosity of 
I wonder how much of this is this baked into my thinking? Yeah. I mean, one of the big words of our day is like unconscious bias. And it's used in, in all kinds of ways. And some of it has good value in it. But we have these unconscious biases that affect how we take stuff in. Yeah. And, and we don't even have to go to the point of judging others with that unconscious bias. We're just mm-hmm. not taking it in. And so the luxury of learning involves breaking down rules. The luxury of getting to change is breaking down rules. And so if, if you say, man, I got to change this. This is not working. Well, that's a healthy question. But then what am I doing to create this? Because it's so easy to point outward and, and to point at all the things that come at us as the issue. Like when I was at work, I was, you know, my employees aren't doing this. My employees are doing that. And, and so you, you take, as the employer, I can do something about it if I was willing to change, break down my rules on my end mm-hmm. and try some different things, right? But making, just pointing at them and saying, well, if they would, if they would do this or that, then, then it would be good. Well, I, I can't like, do anything about that. <laughs> right. And I feel like that's an easy way for someone to even start to see where their rules are in their own life is where are you really frustrated? Where where is an area of your life that you're really frustrated that somebody else is screwing up in all the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, like <laughs> it's my frustration, but somebody else is at fault for it all the time. Yeah. Right. What kind of crazy rule do you have attached to it? What kind of crazy expectation do you attach to it? Yeah, and it isn't that people around us couldn't improve. Oh, <laughs> always. Know. Come on, we're perfect, Dallas. <laughs> yeah, 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 but but it's just that. So much of, of what really frustrates you, the stuff that repeats over and over again, is something you're carrying in you too, right? It's mm-hmm. something that I, I'm facing this a certain way. And so I find that that whole concept of walking up to a frustrating situation, giving myself a second and going, all right, instead of just being angry at it, which yeah. is there, like I can feel that come up and I'm like, okay, I, I'm not upset about this, but this isn't the first time you've walked into this. So there's something I'm able to do differently. What is it? What can I do differently about this? And, you know, a lot of people will not really like quiet self-reflection time. I mean, as a Christian, we, we, we pray, right? But there's, if you don't, if you can't be okay with your own self in your own space in some quiet time and actually assess Hey, when, when I was really upset about that thing at work, what was I feeling? Yeah. I've had weird, weird, weird stuff come up. Like I'll have expectations about, about somebody that they should just know better. They should just know better than doing that. And then in, in the back of my head, I can kind of feel, yeah, well, I was taught to know better about that because <laughs> of how, <laughs> because of, of mm-hmm. the expectations put on me, but I didn't know like how I was taught that. I, I was taught that the harder way. And so to expect them to know that I had to, I had to change, even though I may have had a reasonable request of an employee, the way people learn is all different. And so if I, you know, I'd say something and, and they would, Oh, okay. I'll just change. Well, that isn't usually how it works, right? You got to find out how they work. And, and so for me, it was like the ability to assess a situation and go, yeah, I'm frustrated by this. But I am treating them 
like, well, sometimes maybe how my dad treated me. And and I want them to just get it and do it right. Yeah. But that that hasn't been even defined properly in a way that they understand. And the motivation why they would do that isn't even present for them. So I got to find out what their currency is, what matters to them. Totally. And then I got better find out what language they speak. And, yep. <laughs> and that's different for different people. Oh, and so it totally is. And, and that's turned into a curios an experiment. It's curiosity now to figure out how to communicate with people versus a complete frustration. And yeah, I still get frustrated. But <laughs> I sit down and if I sit down and ponder it, I like I pray about it, you know, I get input. I have ideas. I can do different things the next day instead of repeating the same thing, yeah. hoping for different results. Yeah. Which is insane. Of insanity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My husband says it all the time, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Yeah. Yeah. Dallas, this was amazing. And I just want to thank you so much for being here with us today and having this talk with us. And again, tying it back to that initial story is you've completely shifted your direction. You're never going to be your dad laying in the hospital bed. No, no. You know, this is, this is a really good snapshot for me because when you change in life sometimes it's slow and then you look back to something you go oh lots has changed a so, lot yeah like so yeah. much so if you have one challenge for the listeners about something that they could do right now to support themselves in this way help themselves in this way or even start to like dig into some of their own rules what would it be next time you're really frustrated with somebody some relationship or some even situation, but probably going to be a person involved. Yep. There's a good chance, especially if it's a repeating situation. So somebody that's stuck in your world, like you can't get out, there's a good chance that they are doing some crazy things that are messing you up. But there's even a better chance that you've got some rules baked into your responses, baked into how you're looking at the situation, that if you would assess it, you know, with kind of curiosity, what do I got involved here? What am I, what am I bringing to this? You could do something to make that situation a lot better. Yeah. And it has to, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be okay with a bit of quiet time with yourself. But yeah. if you can sit down and assess that, yeah, you aren't going to get it the first time, but you might try 10 things that don't work and the 11 yeah. might work, but you that probably, be the one. but you probably hit the same situation 30 times already. So what's yeah. 11 more? <laughs> Right? Yeah. So let's finish off with just a few fun, silly questions like I always do at the end. Oh, great. <laughs> I know, I know. What is your favorite place you've ever traveled? Uh, Maui. Oh, yes. You do love Maui. We're going back this year. <laughs> are you? Oh, yes. that's awesome. You are a lover there. What is yeah. something you spend a silly amount of money on? Mm. Other than car engines. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's gonna have to it's gonna have to include car parts. Yeah. <laughs> it would be car parts would be my guess yeah. for you. Yeah. Just just today, I made over a thousand horsepower in my Mustang, so I have, I have a problem. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> we need to come for another ride. Yeah. Is there a secret guilty pleasure way that you use to decompress? Do you have a silly show that you watch, or a thing you eat, or? This is really, this is really sappy, but I'll step out there. Decompress. I yeah. often need to cry. 
We talked about emotions. I need yeah. to cry. And people are like, you need to cry. I'm like, yeah, you do too. We just don't know yet. Um, <laughs> so I pick on certain days, I will pick yeah. certain songs that have a lot of feel attached to them. Yeah. And they may have been from hard times or whatever they are, but you probably have yours too. And I play oh, I them do. on purpose while I'm driving. So no one's around. And usually my face leaks a little bit, but then I feel better. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. I love it so much. Thank you so much, Dallas, for being here. If you enjoyed this episode, and I really, really hope you did, I hope that you will forward it to friends, share it with people, all those fun things. I hope that something you heard today hit home, that shifted something in you, and just proved that you're not alone. Join us again in two weeks for another amazing topic. It's a fun one. And please tell your friends. The more people that feel understood, the better. Check out the show notes for information on how to get your car fixed by Dallas if you want that. But also links to anything that we talked about today and they're located at the taylorway.ca. Also all the contact information, everything we talked about all again, it's all written out there and you can subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you love the show, please leave a review.